This message by Pastor Eric Ludy was given at the church at Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. As a ministry, we desire to see the return of strong, triumphant Christianity in the church today. We make these messages available free of charge for the purpose of strengthening the body of Christ and igniting bold faith in the hearts of believers around the world. The ministry of Ellerslie is made possible through the prayers and financial support of listeners like you. If you have been personally impacted by Ellerslie's messages, please consider partnering with us as we build world changers for Jesus Christ through gospel-centered discipleship. Visit ellerslie.com to learn more. Now, here's Pastor Eric Ludy. In the Christian life, there are seasons of dryness and there's seasons of moistness for lack of a better term. And when you're in a season of dryness, oftentimes you can feel very unspiritual. We have a tendency to have a feeling that goes with spirituality. Have you ever noticed that? There's things that feel spiritual and there's things that don't. And the Bible teaches us to fix ourselves to Jesus Christ no matter the feelings that surround it. And if we are susceptible to the feeling side of life, we have a tendency to make very bad decisions and improper judgment sometimes and even where we stand with God. And so I'm not sure, some of you probably are in a very moist season right now. Praise God for that. Some of you may be in a dry season, a season where God seems distant, the word of God seems hard to grasp. And you remember those seasons of yesteryear where you were uh, in that humid tropical region of spiritual growth and just everything you looked at made sense to you in scripture. Every prayer you prayed seemed to reach the heavenlies. If you are in a season of challenge and difficulty, oftentimes I'll refer to it as thinness, uh, this is a message especially dedicated to you. Because so much of what is taking place in just one singular human body is far more dramatic than most of us even realize. This is the life of Eric Ludy standing in front of you. It's just representative of you. If you were standing up here, we'd just stick a different name on it. But there is war on this territory. God is not after the chair you're sitting on, or the clock on the wall, or your dog back home. God is after us. These individuals, this is like real estate. This is territory. And the devil is not after that chair you're sitting on, the clock on the wall, or your dog back home. He's after these bodies. This is the territory of battle. And one of the number one places of the battle isn't just your hand or your foot or your knee. It's actually the head. And what is taking place inside of this head is of great importance to the kingdom of heaven. And that's why Jesus is the head of the church. That's how we become strong, is we need what is termed the mind of Christ. And so I'm going to give you that little piece uh, of information, scripturally speaking, because there's a lot of language for this territory. We know it as the head, but there are eyes in this head. There's nose. uh, There's a nose. I didn't say noses. There's a nose. There's a mouth. There's ears. There's a lot that goes on here that goes with discernment that goes with tasting and seeing and being able to apprehend and understand and grasp. It's a lot of it's here. And so how this territory known as the head is maintained defines the quality, the strength of the entire body. If the head goes south or the head loses its strength, 
Well, the whole body follows suit. Sort of like where the head goes, so follows the body. So it's very, very important that we learn how to guard this noggin. The noble brow. I actually really like the title. Uh, there probably could have been other titles that were better, but you guys know that I love titles. And the noble brow just sounded poetic. Uh, and it's good. It, it does fit the message. Uh, the formation of a forehead firmer than flint. Remember last week I had a whole bunch of P's in my title? This one has a whole bunch of F's. The formation of a forehead firmer than flint. Some of you aren't as impressed with that title as I am. I think that's just great. The brow. So when I say brow, it's the forehead. Okay, this is the brow. I'm not trying to be poetic. Well, I am trying to be poetic. I'm not trying to be complex. The forehead, for those of you that didn't know. Ezekiel 3. Behold, I've made thy face strong against their faces. God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. And thy forehead strong against their foreheads. Who needs a strong forehead? I mean, isn't that a strange statement? And who cares if they have a strong forehead? Why does it even matter? But this is a symbol. In the, in the, in the scriptures, especially to this nation known as Israel, the language of the human body is very, very important in how God conveys ideas. And the head to the Hebrew is very specific of something. The forehead is very specific. But you could go through all the body parts and they all mean something. And so God is saying, I've made thy face strong against their faces and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. Understand the spiritual forehead. So what the forehead would mean, whether it has meant this to you or not, I'll give you sort of the scriptural overview of what this idea is. It's a place of declared defiance or determined position. It doesn't have to be negative. When we hear the word defiance, that sounds bad. You know, like God is asking you to do something like, no, that would be a forehead of flint. Okay, that would be a adamant position against God. It's called defiance. Not a healthy position to be in. But did you know that there's a healthy version of defiance? When the devil baits you to tempt you and you say, no. Well, it's the same no, right? But one is a proper use of defiance or of the spiritual forehead, and the other is an improper one. And so that's what a forehead is. It's a declared defiance or a determined position. Here I stand. I refuse to budge. You know when you are in those times of thinness and you're in the times of arid, uh, deserty conditions in your spiritual life, it's easy to be moved. Or I should say it's easier to be moved. Just because you're not feeling spiritual, you're more susceptible to the bait of the devil saying, you don't have anything. This is all fake. You never had anything. And so as a result, you're more vulnerable. And this is where the forehead that is, the spiritual forehead that is defiant, that is determined in its position, it doesn't gauge itself based on how it feels. It gauges itself on what God has said. So... One of my phrases that you've probably heard me say many times is, here I stand. In fact, I oftentimes will sign books that way. If I sign the Bravehearted Gospel, I'll sign, here I stand, E. That's, I've signed it that way for years. So if you pick up a Bravehearted Gospel, see if I'll do it. Uh, and, but that's my, my statement. It's, a, it's an adamant position. It is a statement, not of emotion, of fact. I stand on the Word of God. I refuse to be moved. Now, do I always feel that? No. 
if any of you remember first semester Ellerslie, we go back nine years or so, and July 4th, uh, it was a Sunday, and so we were going to have the students over for fireworks uh, that night, and uh, I preached a message called Immovable, and I read about the winds and the rains that will beat upon a house, and the house built upon sand will fall, but the house built upon rock will stand. And I made some blustery statement that day of, here I stand. There's a quote very similar to that one. And that day we had, uh, what would the term be? Uh, flood, a flash flood. We had a flash flood that day. I'd, I'd never even been in a flash flood in Colorado. Flash flood in Colorado and my basement flooded. We had so much water coming into the house that day. I don't know if any of you remember that particular uh, flood, but there was some, I'm on a hill. And I had so much water coming in. I remember Harper's window well filled up and was gushing through the window pane. It was one of the weirdest things. I was catching it in big plastic buckets, dumping it into the tub. I could not stay up with it. Our whole basement just flooded right in front of me. And that was after I had the audacity to say that. No, so there was a lot of reason. And if any of you remember the story, I actually then preached it again. I got up the guts to, to preach on the same thing. And I referenced it. And I sort of defied the spiritual realm, and I said, here I stand, I will not be moved. And that day we had a flash flood. Six times in one year, every time I preached it, we had a flood. One day we were here, we just set up a new washer and dryer, and the guy said, it's ready to go. Well, the discharge valve didn't go into the, uh, whatever you call that, the drain, and it was laying under the washing machine, so we started the washer and went to church, came home after I made this big bluster, and our house was flooded. Seven, six times, okay? So I know what it means to stand and to also feel rather movable, even though you are making loud statements, to feel like, I don't know if I want to make loud statements. I don't know if I want to stay here. It'd be a lot easier if I was a little more mushy. So there's two ways to stand. And some people in this world have it backwards because they are adamant and they say, here I stand, but they take a position against God. And that's what we see in Scripture too, Isaiah 48. Because I knew that thou art obstinate, and thy neck is an iron sinew, and thy brow brass. This is a firm brow, right? But it's against God. And he, speaking of the second beast in Revelation, causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond, to receive a mark in their right hand or in their foreheads. And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Some of us really don't like that scripture. That's just like really awkward stuff when you start getting the mark of the beast. It's interesting. This mark is on either the right hand or the forehead. The right hand in scripture would be a symbol of control. And so the priests in the Old Testament had their right hand or right thumb specifically smeared with blood. Isn't that an interesting statement? And so in other words, this is the control. Think about, can you think of any picture of control in the body more than the right hand, which is the hand of strength, usually the coordinated hand, even though I'm left-handed, I don't like saying that. Uh, And it's the symbol of grip, control. And God says, could you let go of that grip? And so where does the mark come? The right hand or the forehead? It's the place of control, the place of decision, determined position. Here I stand. These guys are saying, I'm with the beast. It's a big deal. Some of us are scared of accidentally getting marked. It's like, oh, is this the mark of the beast? Well, here's what I would say. Get a spiritual forehead that is 
in track, in groove with Jesus Christ and saying, I stand with him. That's what we do. Take the mark of Christ. Don't worry about the mark of the beast. Take the mark of Christ. I'm with him. That's the key. So then you could also stand against darkness. And the Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So what we see in the book of Ezekiel is his forehead is a very significant thing. And that in the midst of the pending judgment that is over Jerusalem, this abomination uh, that has taken place in the land of uh, Israel, specifically in Judah, and so they're supposed to go throughout the land, and anyone that is weeping, that, is, that actually cares and sighs and cries over this terror, this, this abomination that is taking place, mark them. Mark their forehead. Isn't that interesting? In other words, God marks the forehead, just as the beast marks the forehead. Isn't that just interesting? Behold, I have made thy face strong against their faces, and thy forehead strong against their foreheads. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So introducing a key word, adamant. Now that's in the English language. We can actually use this word, but it comes from the, uh, the word actually, which is ultimately translated into the Greek, from this scripture in uh, Ezekiel. And uh, the word adamant means to refusing to be persuaded or to change one's mind. It's a determined position. It's a place of obstinacy, if you want to say it that way. It's a forehead statement. But it's also a legendary rock of marvelous quality and strength, often thought to be either diamond or lodestone. That's what an adamant is. And so to, if God is going to make Ezekiel's forehead firmer than flint, it says adamant, an adamant firmer than flint, so uh, people have tried to speculate. I think it must be diamond or lodestone. Both fascinating studies. As an adamant, harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Fear them not, neither be dismayed at their looks, though they be a rebellious house. So flint, at the time uh, that that would have even been written, was the hardest stone in Palestine, was used by Israel for knives and other implements. So this was literally what was used to cut things. So usually if you want to cut through anything, you want to have the firmest uh, substance you can, and so that was flint. So this was an adamant firmer than flint. So what's harder than flint? Introducing a rock known as Adamus. So Adamus in the, the Greek means unbreakable. We know it as diamond. It's actually what the Greek term for, for diamond would be is Adamus. Diamond is renowned as a material with superlative physical qualities, the highest hardness and thermal conductivity of any bulk material, and thus the perfect element with which to cut and polish tools. The mark of the beast. So I, I know, it's just there's something depressing about even hearing that, especially if you grew up in my age and generation. The mark of the beast was just horrible, and everyone would just moan and sigh and groan over this. And I'm not saying we should rejoice over it. I'm just saying we do not fear the mark of the devil. We delight in the mark of God. And when you're secure under the mark of God, why would you fear what the devil can do to you? Greater is he that is in you than he that is in this world. So in other words, it's an understanding of our position that causes us to hold that in contempt. Now we concern ourselves with it because there's a world that is very vulnerable to coming under this mark. So what we're going to call it is the counterfeit mark. In other words, God marks his people. 
And the devil seems to always catch the drift of what God is up to, and he comes up with his own version of things. You can see that all throughout God's creation. A lot of us think that God, uh, or I'm sorry, the devil created sexuality because the devil has perverted it. That's not the devil's terrain, that's God's terrain. The devil takes what God does and perverts it and twists it. It's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit mark. God is the one that marks. And so the devil comes along and tries to come up with his mark. So we typically understand it as the mark of the beast. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For it is the number of a man. His number is 666. I know. I know. It's just it's sort of depressing even reading it out loud. Those, those numbers, every time I'd see a 666 growing up, I, I would, couldn't even say it. Lest I invoke something. I was, there was such a... Uh, a weird thinking pattern that got into me as a young kid in regards to this. And, you know, for, for generations, since the early church, people have tried to figure out what this is. It's the number of a man. And since there are literally probably well over 100, maybe to 1,000 theories of what this means, I think it's safe to say that we don't know. Okay? In other words, it's okay that we don't know. It obviously is a mystery, and maybe when it's time to know, we'll just know. I don't know, but it's interesting. I'm going to give you one quote about it, which I think is at least fascinating. This evil trinity, because it's three, three numbers, 666, apes, which means mimics, tries to act like, like an ape tries to act like a man, right? But it's not a man. It apes the holy trinity, 777, but always falls short and fails. So what this guy, this man that was writing that is saying, as far as a basic thing that we can know, is 666 is less than 777. And God being perfect, perfect perfection, the devil just can't do it. You know, he's always trying to mimic. He's an angel of light, but he's going to fall short. It's like, you know, I like that. See, his counterfeit mark stinks. We have access to the greater mark, to the adamant that is firmer, that is stronger than anything the devil can dish out. The mark of God, the insignia of the redeemed. See, now, now we can lighten the mood a little. The insignia of the redeemed. See, there is a mark that God wants to put on us. And I put a jewel on thy forehead. We might as well think of that as diamond, by the way. Adamus. He's given a fo- giving us a forehead firmer than flint. Sticks a jewel right there. Yeah. You, want a, you can bring the best flints around, but guess what I have here? I got some diamond there. For he put on righteousness. So this is speaking of the Messiah in the book of Isaiah, uh, saying that God is looking for someone who can stand in the gap, some intercessor who can come and do the work. So what he does is he does it himself. So this is speaking of what Jesus comes and does. For he put on righteousness as a breastplate. Doesn't that sound familiar? Righteousness as a breastplate. What does that hearken to? What Paul speaks about in Ephesians, talking about the armor of God. This is what Jesus did. He put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation upon his head. And he put on the garments of vengeance for clothing and he was clad with zeal as a cloak. Wait a minute, I thought that was us. No, no, you need to understand how the gospel works. This is Jesus that is clad that is fully armored, and he comes to this earth to bring about salvation. And what does he then become? Our clothing. You see, we are clothed in Christ. This is him. And he offers us himself as armor, himself as clothing. Put it on, people. God's mark 
is greater. You see, that's the key thing I want you to recognize here. I don't know how thin you may feel, how dry you may feel, but I want you to freshly recognize where you stand. Do you believe that there is any other means of salvation? Have you found your hope, your salvation in the person of Jesus Christ? All right, stand there. Remain there. I'm not asking you to feel something right now. I'm saying stand there. This is the forehead that is firmer than flint. God's mark is greater. His number trumps the devil's. His, materials strong, his material is stronger. His strength greater. Just as a diamond is greater material strength than flint, just as 777 is greater uh, number value and strength than 666, his strength is greater. We read of a stag that roamed about in the greatest security by reason of it having a label on its neck, touch me not, I belong to Caesar. Thus the true servants of God are always safe, even among lions, bears, serpents, fire, water, thunder, and tempests, for all creatures know and reverence the shadow of God. Do we recognize what it means to bear the mark upon our forehead? I have a stamp of Jesus Christ upon me. I am redeemed. I have something in my forehead, in my spiritual brow, that is greater than anything that can come against me. And this is what is known as the mind of Christ. Have this mind in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The secret of the noble brow. So here's the secret. It's a statement from this body known as Eric Ludi. And you could say, where does it come from? Well, strategically, it's coming from this mouth, right? Where is it reasoning from? This zone, this forehead, this brow. I see the circumstances with these eyes. I hear the threats and the mockeries around me. So with this mind fixed upon that rock of Jesus Christ, that word, I drop it down into my mouth and I make a a declaration of where I stand. I know the feelings in the rest of this body may not make me feel strong. May not, may I, I may not feel like tremendously powerful and like an overcomer. But I do know the word of God on the matter. And so therefore, this mind agrees. This brow is in agreement with that truth. And as a result, it is strong. I belong to God. I trust God. I am with him. Here I stand in him. Wearing the mark upon your forehead. So listen to this truth, and I want you to allow it to come right into this sector of your being. I want you to meditate upon it, and I want you to build your life upon it. Just as Jesus says, he who builds his life, his house, upon a rock. When the winds and the rains come, it will not fall, but it will stand. And that's precisely what I want you to do here. The Lord is my light and my salvation, so whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life, so of whom shall I be afraid? Though a host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, I remain confident in my God. Because God will never leave me or forsake me, he is able also to save me to the uttermost, because I come unto God by him. And he ever lives to make intercession for me. God is my refuge and strength, the very present help in my trouble. Therefore I will not fear, though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried in the midst of the sea. And no weapon that is formed against me shall prosper, and every tongue that shall rise against me in judgment God shall condemn. The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? So the difference between a furrowed brow and a noble brow 
has to do with what is taking place up here in this brow region. If you have a noble brow, you are built upon the word of God. A furrowed brow, on the other hand, comes from being disturbed in the brow region. In other words, when the devil comes in like a flood, when the devil starts hitting you with his attacks, and by the way, he's very good at it. He's been doing it for close to 6,000 years. He's an expert, and we're not as good in fighting back. If we lean on our own strength, we fail. We have to learn to lean on a strength greater than us. So let me give a quick breakdown of, of the mind, okay? You have three dimensions to it. We're going to put one here. Okay, this is going to be the thoughts, the suggestions, the ideas that are coming. But this is you. This is what you're thinking right now. Okay? So right now you have a thought going through your head. Hopefully you're listening to what I'm saying. It has something to do with what I'm talking about. Right now you're thinking, what is the thought going through my head? See? I just read your mind right there. Now the third dimension is not necessarily what you're thinking now, but what you know, what you've experienced. Okay? It's like the pantry of your thoughts. Okay, it's what you believe. It's all stored away in, in catalogs. Sometimes we have big piles of, of wreckage in there, but hopefully yours is all organized and neat and clean. It smells really nice in there. But this is where we're living day in and day out. There's a door right here between that which is being suggested that desires to enter in to this domain of what you are thinking about right now. How you handle that door defines... If you have a noble brow or a furrowed brow. For instance, if you leave this door unlocked, some people have an open door policy. Uh, and by the way, for hospitality reasons, that can be great. For thought reasons, it can be very, very dangerous. If you deal with the devil with an open door mentality in your brain, you're in trouble. You have to keep that door locked to everything but what God wants to bring in. You have to take every thought captive to the will of Christ Jesus. What he desires in here is what you fight for. And this is how you maintain a noble brow. This is how you remain strong in the midst of all difficulties. This is how you build upon rock. And when the winds and the rains beat against your house, you do not fall. So I always usually say we need a... Like a German shepherd. Is a, a Belgium Malumit a better sniffer dog than a German shepherd? Okay, so we'll go with the Belgium Malamute. Did I say it correctly? I didn't say it correctly. What is it? Malamois. What in the world? Uh, okay, so Malamois, uh, for those of you that didn't know, right along with me, uh, is a great sniffer dog, okay? It can detect all sorts of things. And so we're going to stick our sniffer dog out here. What's he reasoning with? He's reasoning with what we have stored away. This is what we're supposed to be building on the Word of God daily. We're supposed to be studying the Word. We're supposed to be meditating on the Word. We're supposed to be memorizing the Word. And so if we have that, our Belgium Malumois, I still didn't get it right, is supposed to come out here and sniff everything that wants to come in. And if it's a godly thought, then the, then the dog you know, gives the okay sign. And we're able to allow it in. That's what discernment is. Discernment is not just a feeling. Discernment is based on truth. So we are reasoning and sniffing every thought, everything that wants to come in based on something. And so as a result, there's various things that want to present themselves. We have God thoughts. You know, the Holy Spirit speaks to us. Uh -huh. uh, we have encouragement from the body, words of edification that come from here. We have truth. That's a very real thing. Unfortunately, there's a shortage of that in our world. And we have a lot of other voices that are clamoring to get inside. 
We have voices of demons. Did you know that demons can speak? I know, it's very discouraging. I I talked about the mark of the beast and demons speaking in one message. Boy, this is an intense one. Demons have voices. They do, and they speak. They suggest all the time. The devil himself has a voice. The flesh, you know that there's a part of you that has a voice that always seems to be conspiring against what God wants to do in your life? Hey, think of you. Hey, that's not going to be fun for you. You don't need to give up your rights. Hey, be offended. You see, it doesn't, you don't even need the devil to fall apart in your life. You have you. The flesh is set against you, which is why you need to deny it. You can't allow the flesh to have the voice in your life. So when the flesh is speaking, you need to relegate it outside. Hey, I don't listen to that. No, that doesn't give me counsel. I listen to the Spirit of God. I listen to truth. And so as a result, there are going to be various things. And here's the shocking one that gets many of us. Is that the devil can inspire, or the flesh can inspire, or demons can inspire the body of Christ to speak too. You ever notice that? Uh, some of you that are married know how that can work in marriage too. We're all vulnerable to being a tool of the enemy to say something unkind, to say something that isn't true. And as a result, there is an extra layer of need for discernment in this battle to recognize it just because the person speaking it, including yours truly, the guy up on the stage, he can speak things that aren't true, which is why we must test everything. You have your Belgium Malimu (laughs) that comes out to sniff every situation. And that's how we function as believers. It's a noble brow. These are more noble than those in Thessalonica, the people in Berea. Why? Because they actually tested what Paul said against the scriptures. That's a noble brow for you. Furrowed brow. You guys know how that works? You let in the wrong thoughts. And we're all very susceptible to to it. And by the way, some of you have been letting in the wrong thoughts for so long that you actually mix them up with God's thoughts. And you can't tell the difference because you haven't been sniffing them. You haven't been testing them. And so as a result, the devil is getting in and he is confounding your life. He's whispering all sorts of stuff. And I, believe me, I've heard probably all of it, okay? I mean, I, I live in one of these things called a body too. I understand all the different attacks that come. And maybe there are attacks that I'm not familiar with. I, I've only lived 47 years in one body. However, I have had a lot of attack on this body. And I know the words of diminishment, the words of condemnation, The words that say, give up, let it go, don't try anymore, you didn't sign up for this, this is too hard. I mean, if you were to measure my life of how many times I'm presented with the thought of walking away from the responsibilities I have, not in marriage or in children raising, in this church, it's probably one of the number one attacks, just give it up, Eric, let it go. This isn't what you wanted to do anyways. You didn't actually feel called to be a pastor When you have that vulnerability and you allow any thought in to that living room to stick its muddy boots up on your coffee table, it'll start to wear you down. You have to know where you stand and why you stand there because you're not always going to have feelings that support it. You have to have truth that you build on. Don't build your life on feelings. So who are we building on? What are we actually basing our life on? Well, it's a good description. With whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. One who will never change. His name is Jesus Christ, and his word bears the same likeness. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. In the Old Testament, is the proper name of God Almighty. The I am that I am. It's the one who was, 
is and always will be the exact same. He never changes. So guess what? We have something firm. It's known as rock to build on. Ametathasos. Oh, I had this down too. Ametathasos. Oh, it's like Malamu. Ametathasos. It means immutable, fixed, unchanged, and unalterable without variance. It's a great word, even though it's hard to say. Wherein God, willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the amatothetos, of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath that by two amatothetos things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. So listen to two things that are amatothetos. They're unchanging. They are rock, and you can build your life upon it. And when you're feeling thin, you need to remember these two things. He promised, and he cannot lie. Amatothetos. It's immutable. It's unchanging. The one who has promised. By the way, he didn't need to give us any promises. But he did. The one who created the heavens and the earth could have just discarded us when we went south. Instead, he loved us and pursued us, and he gave us promise. Why would he do that? But he gave us promise, and guess what we also know about him? He cannot lie. He cannot break his promises. You know what? That's actually a pretty firm foundation to stand on. So you're telling me that this is truth. That's that's right. That's why we can build upon it. The devil serves up sand. Sand is crushed up rock. It's a whole bunch of little things. That's why some of it sounds true. It's like, hey, that's, that's true. Yeah, but it's not part of the whole. It disagrees with the rock. You see, we cannot build our life upon something unstable. And something unstable is anything but that truth. The triumphant Jesus is, if we're speaking about rock, listen to this, the rock, my strong rock, the rock of ages, the rock that is higher than I, the rock of my, my rock and my fortress, the rock of my strength, the rock of my refuge, the rock of habitation, the rock of my heart, the rock of my salvation, my rock and my redeemer, that spiritual rock, a shadow from the heat, a stone, a living stone, a tried stone, a precious cornerstone, a precious stone, the noble brow of all noble brows. So what is God going to do? He is going to give us a noble brow. The noble brow of all noble brows. I mean, what do you wear upon a, noble, uh, upon a brow if you're noble? You wear a crown. So we have the king of all kings, the lord of all lords. And by the way, he was, he was God Almighty before he came to this earth. The fact that he humbled himself and took such a low place should shock us. So we have the noblest of all noble brows that comes to this earth. The noble brow of all noble brows. And when they wove a crown of thorns, they put it on his head. And a staff in his right hand, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they put on him a purple robe. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate saith unto them, Behold the man. Mocking the King of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the one with the noblest of all noble brows, submits himself to a picture of a curse. What's a picture of a curse? A thorn. This is a crown of thorns. It's not the crown of jewels that he is deserving of, but for our sake, he allows his brow to bear that signal of sin. What is a crown? Strangely, it's a mark. Isn't that a weird statement? The Greek word Stephanos means a crown, a mark of royal or exalted rank. When you see a crown, that's a signal. That's a mark. That is an insignia. It says something to everyone that sees it. That's the person with the high position. 
That's actually what it is. It's a mark. Isn't that a fascinating statement? A crown is a mark. The people of freed foreheads. You see, we were marked by sin. We were marked by defeat. We were marked by the devil. For those of you concerned about the mark of the beast, you already bear a mark of destruction upon you outside of Jesus Christ. Our entire understanding of the gospel is that we've been freed because he bore our mark. He bore the penalty for our decision upon that cross. So that when we humble ourselves and believe in him, we are set free from that mark. Our forehead is freed from the mark of death and condemnation. We are no longer with the devil. We're with Jesus. So the people of freed foreheads, that's us. We are now free to receive the mark of royalty upon our spiritual brows. We are deserving of death and destruction. However, our forehead has been freed. You make a choice. What do you want to do? Where are you deciding today? I choose Jesus. And as a result, we receive a jewel in our forehead. We receive a helmet of salvation. We deserve a crown of thorns. We receive instead a royal diadem. As an adamant harder than flint have I made thy forehead. Now I know he's speaking to Ezekiel. But do you see the message to us throughout the ages? Those that are willing to bear the message of truth in a carnal generation. I will make your forehead like adamant. Firmer than flint. In other words, I know what is against you, says God. I know it opposes you, but I will give you a brow of diamond. I will give you a crown, is what he's saying. He's going to mark us as his emissaries. We bear that notation, just as the stag roamed freely with the, with the phrase or the, the note that said, touch me not, I belong to Caesar. Touch me not, I belong to Jesus. We are his children in this fallen world. And all the spiritual powers can recognize the almighty presence of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in us. Should we be the ones that are afraid? You may feel thin. You may feel weak. But do you recognize that you bear the mark of King Jesus? So this is a uh, little story about George Mueller I think you guys will enjoy that demonstrates this picture. I went to America some years ago with the captain of a steamer who is a very devoted Christian. When off the coast of Newfoundland, he said to me, the last time I crossed here five weeks ago, something happened which revolutionized the whole of my Christian life. We had George Mueller of Bristol on board. I had been on the bridge 24 hours and never left it. George Mueller came to, to me and said, Captain, I have come to tell you that I must be in Quebec Saturday afternoon. It is impossible, I said. Very well. If your ship cannot take me, God will find some other way. I have never broken an engagement for 57 years. Let us go down into the chart room and pray. I looked at that man of God and thought to myself, what lunatic asylum can that man have come from? I never heard of such a thing as this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. All right, I'm giving you an opportunity to get into this story right here. Do you see the density of the fog around you? 
What are you staring at? Are you staring at the power and the bluster and the bluff of the devil? Should David stare at the tallness and the stature of Goliath? Or should he focus on the tallness and the stature of the Almighty God? Do you, saints of God, know how dense the fog is around you? No, you replied. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. Furrowed brow, noble brow. You choose. He knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers. And when he had finished, I was going to pray. (laughs) This is a great line. But he put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. First, you do not believe, he will answer. And second, I believe he has. And there is no need whatever for you to pray about it. Noble brow. I looked at him and he said, Captain... I have known my Lord for 57 years and there has never been a single day that I have failed to get audience with the king. Get up, captain, and open the door and you will find the fog gone. I got up and the fog was indeed gone. On Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec for his engagement. Okay, whatever that was, that's something that we all have access to. Every single one of us could build our house upon a rock we have to choose how to engage in this battle we have one life to live we've been entrusted with a body and this body is under siege if you try and fight with your own tools your own ability you will have a furrowed brow if you're wondering what furrowed brow means it means one of anxiety and fear concern deep concern every single one of us could end life with a furrowed brow God has given you an opportunity He has a crown full of diamond that he is willing to give you. In scripture, it is known as the crown of life, the crown of glory. You see, there is something that he wants to put upon your forehead. It's called the mind of Christ, a helmet of salvation. The crown of thorns, a crown of thorns for Christ, crowns of Adamus for the saints. He bore our crown of thorns that we might have a crown of of Adamus. Remember what Adamus means in the Greek? Unbreakable. And there you can see the scriptures. I, I, didn't, I just wanted to move as quickly as I could, so I just put them down there for you. So in, in looking at the story of David and Goliath, it's really amazing when you think about what looks small. You know, the five smooth stones from the brook. It's like, come on. I mean, they probably were even teeny, right? They're not even that big. What looks weak That stone, that rock that is slung by the Messiah into the forehead of the devil brought him low. And so what we see, even in the Old Testament here, David put his hand, and David is an incredible picture of the Messiah, an incredible picture of Jesus, put his hand in his bag and took from there a stone, and he slung it and struck the Philistine in his forehead. Therefore, the stone sunk into his forehead, and he fell upon his face to the ground. You see anything in that? You see, we have been entrusted with a forehead firmer than flint. Face against face. You see, the faces that we're against are not the faces of earthly men and women. It's spiritual powers. And we've been given a forehead firmer than that of the devil, than that of all his demonic host. Then of all the lies that are taking place in this world, 
We've been given something. It's known as the Word of God in text and in person. You build your life upon that. You guard that door with your sniffing dog. And you don't allow anything through that door that doesn't match with his truth. And as a result, you can walk with a noble brow in this world. Behold the most noble brow. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. May you have the same brow, the same forehead as Jesus had. Who being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. But made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death. Even the death of the cross. Therefore God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow. Of those in heaven and those on earth and of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. There is the mind of Christ right there. And this is the very mind that he desires us to have. We are saved by his willingness to take a crown of thorns upon his head. And he gives us a crown if you want to say it that way. However, our first act as royal children is to remove that crown and give it back to him. And to say, I'm willing to bear the infamy that you had, that you bore when you were here on this earth. I'm willing to take the lowest place. I'm willing to humble myself even unto death to serve you and to honor you. Thank thank you for freeing this brow to be a noble one. And that truly is the most noble brow. That, in Philippians, is the mind of Christ. That is the forehead that is firmer than flint. So this past week, uh, some of you may know, but Sandy, who is uh, my assistant, and some people argue that she actually runs Ellerslie, and I'm her assistant, uh, she's pretty amazing in what her capacity is and what weight she carries. This past week, uh, she went back to Oregon. Her dad, his health was failing. And was it Tuesday or Wednesday, Dan? One of those days. Uh, Her dad passed away. So, very difficult thing for her to walk through. She lost her mom a few years ago, and so to lose her dad, as any of you can just imagine, or any of you that have walked through it. Sandy, at the time, was uh, just attending to her dad. She'd gone into the room next door and was uh, playing hymns just to sing, just to bring peace into the situation. And uh, he passed away when she was playing this hymn. And so, sort of as a dedication to her, uh, but to all of us that are going through that trial of soul uh, to recognize the significance of how Jesus Christ personally desires to make intercession for us, personally desires to save us to the uttermost. We are not left without a helper. We have not been left and abandoned as orphans in our trials and in our difficulties. We have everything we need for life and godliness. O oh God, our help in ages past... O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy blast, and our eternal home. Under the shadow of thy throne, thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thy arm alone, and our defense is sure. Before the hills in order stood, or earth received her frame, from everlasting thou art God, to endless years the same. 
O God, our help in ages past, our hope for years to come. Be thou our guard while troubles last in our eternal home. So here's how I want to finish it. I'm going to personalize this to, to me, but I want you to do it for you. Mr. Ludi, the devil said, do you know how dense this fog is? No, I replied, my eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. If you live in this earth, you're bound to understand what fog is. If you spend any time as a Christian in a body like this, then you understand what it means to be hounded, to be berated by voices that you oftentimes are confused. Is that me? Is that truth? What is that? You are in hostile territory. You are in the midst of a battle, but you need not fear that battle, and you need not fear that enemy who is coming against you. He considers you a threat. Take it as a compliment. God has not left you on your own to your own defenses and your own devices. He has given you himself. He has given you his word, and he's given you the Holy Spirit who carried along the men to even write that word. This Holy Spirit lives inside of you and is able to draw on that word as a weapon to stand for you To conquer through you in every trial you will face. Therefore, we will not fear. Therefore, we will not fear. Why should we be anxious? Why should we fret? Why should we forebode? God is on our side. Why should we, even though we are weak in the natural sense, why should we be weak spiritually? We have every opportunity today, though our natural circumstances may paralyze us, may be so daunting that our minds cannot construe, cannot come up with a solution. You have a God who knows how to get that ship to Quebec. I don't know what, how many years you've had under your belt spiritually. I can't say that I've had 57 spiritual years. I'm only 47 years old. It'd sound really good if I could say, and I too have had 57 years, and here's what I can say. But what I can say in my 47, which not all were lived triumphantly for Jesus Christ, I have to acknowledge that. But out of the years that I have given myself to Jesus Christ, God has always gotten me to Quebec. He's always gotten me through the fog. If you said, how did he do it? Sometimes I'm not exactly sure how to answer that other than he did. He has been faithful time and time again. And he will be to you as well. Our job is to maintain the noble brow. To keep that door shut to the devil's voice. And to maintain our position and our stance with a forehead firmer than flint. That crown of diamond in our thinking. Nothing can break it. That's where we stand, in the person of Jesus Christ. We hope you have enjoyed this message by Pastor Eric Looney, delivered at the Church of Ellerslie in Windsor, Colorado. Feel free to make copies of this message, but do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without expressed written permission. For more information about us or to help support the ministry of Ellerslie, we invite you to visit us at ellerslie.com. E-L-L-E-R-S-L-I-E dot com. Please know that you are not alone in this battle for truth and we are cheering you on down the narrow way 
of the cross.